Hello fellow Kentuckians and other friends and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie and joining me this week is Matt Irwin. Matt, you you know, you have never actually been on the show, but you have been in the presence of the show being recorded multiple times, right? Uh, I don't know about multiple times, maybe twice, but yeah, it's a it's a privilege to uh finally get to speak that's yeah. nice twice 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 is multiple right all right well we'll get into we'll get into more of an introduction to matt in just a second but what we're going to talk about this week on the show it's the week after thanksgiving uh you know n- news is news is sparse but we do have plenty of things to talk about first is uh, a train derailing on thanksgiving the day before thanksgiving in Rockcastle county so we're going to talk about that then we're going to talk about some really chilling details uh that have emerged about the louisville bank shooter we have some updates on josie rain who is a Kentucky State Representative but has decided to run for a different office. We'll talk about that a little bit. Then we're going to follow up by talking a little bit about Jamie Comer and uh, some developments in his long-running feud with Hunter Biden. And then lastly, something about Mac Brown as he steps down from RPK. All right, without any further ado, let's jump into talking a little bit about about Matt Irwin. So Matt, uh, you know, I, you know, there are a lot of people who listen to the show who are going to be like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. And then a lot of people who are going to be like, I, who the heck is this guy? Uh, it's a it's a bro centric episode of my old Kentucky podcast. <laughs> I think it's the first all male show in like four years. But uh, I mean, tell the people what do they need to know about Matt Irwin? What are you doing here? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a friend a favor. I think that's the, that's the most important thing about me is I'm a good friend in a time of need. When someone needs to reach out and needs a favor, I will be there. Um, I, uh, I listen to the podcast. I'm a friend of Robert's, um, for the past 20 years, I've been working in politics and campaigns in Illinois, Georgia, here in Kentucky. Um, and I just, you know, I'm a person with a lot of okay opinions. Yeah, I I agree with that fully. Uh, yeah, Matt Matt has worked on a lot of really high level campaigns. He's been a high level staff in a lot of campaigns. He knows a lot about campaigning in Kentucky. He knows a lot about politics in Kentucky. Um, he is definitely a voice that a lot of people listen to when they need to know what to do or how to do it when it comes to running for office in this state. So we're really thrilled to have you. Yeah, no, you definitely were standing there when we interviewed Adam Edelin, and that was all the way back in like twenty. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I yeah. In that that weird office there in Nulu, I was like, this is the house right like, no this is the- yeah no it was yeah it was uh i had a researcher named casein riley who some people might know and we worked at a uh i'm not gonna call it a dungeon because it was on the second floor <laughs> but it was a it was like a second floor dungeon yeah but yeah that was that was an odd space that's that's right so i have been <clears throat> tangentially involved in your podcast and also with uh, Mayor Greenberg, back when we were in our old office. Yes, yeah. that's a, that's exactly right. So that that's what Matt's doing here. That's what we're here to talk about. But yeah, let's go ahead and jump into the the news a little bit. So yeah, you know, like I said, you know, this is kind of the big news before I got the, everybody got back to work on Monday. Um, but in Rockcastle County, which is there in kind of south of Lexington, um, there was a pretty significant tragedy on Wednesday when a, a train derailed, uh, leading to a state of emergency. So you know, a lot of people's uh, Thanksgivings were ruined, including the governor. Who was then out there like working on stuff and the entire city of Livingston had to be evacuated. So that train was operated by CSX. They said 16 cars were derailed, two of which contained like really dame- dangerous chemicals, um, one of which is uh, molten sulfur. Like I think that was the main the main thing that was there. Uh, two other cars that did not derail from the train had even more dangerous chemicals in them, magnesium hydroxide. Uh, I don't really know what any of this crap is. It's just really bad for people. 
Um, and then they, they basically cleared it up after a couple of days. The derailment itself didn't cause any deaths, but one guy was injured. Um, and just like with stuff like this, you just never know how bad it's going to be till years later, right? Because like this, lots sure. of concentrated chemicals then seep into like the water or the ground or whatever. Uh, it can contaminate. Like well, one of the big disclaimers I saw was that it contaminates like the environment. <laughs> so I don't know whatever that Every, means. Everything. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. So like nobody was immediately injured, but it's like really hard to say how serious this is going to be. So, you know, on Monday, CSX, who's a major corporation, announced that uh, the issue with the train was a failed wheel bearing. And they also expressed gratitude to Rockcastle County and its leaders. So, yeah, the first thing I heard about when I thought this was like, man, that really sucks for a lot of people who, who had like already cooked their turkey uh, or like made their mashed potatoes or whatever and then got their Thanksgivings ruined. And then the second thing I thought of was like, oh, yeah, that reminds me a lot of what happened in East Palestine, Ohio um, earlier this year. Uh, that was a major news invest or major news event that led to significant um, investigation by the National Transportation Safety Board, lots of media coverage. You know, th those chemicals in that crash were a lot more dangerous or that derailment were a lot more dangerous but this is like a trend of things that are happening really scary situations so you know this country uh like requires and i guess the world and industrialization requires that we move like toxic chemicals around a lot um and the railway is probably you know better than having it on semi trucks on the road or whatever but it's still dangerous right things are still going to derail and bad things are going to happen so like what can we do to make it safe so matt like while we're talking about this uh tell me a little bit like this is obviously like a federal issue like rail transportation is like a federal issue but you know it does involve state government because you know the cleanup and then the reaction to the problems is handled by state and local government so you know from what you were able to read while you were eating your own turkey um how did you feel like the governor did and the local leaders did around this it, based on the, the media that you were able to read and then like what should we do about uh to make it you know the situation better um yeah uh, as for the the governor's performance as always i think you know andy came through with flying colors the governor Bashir came through with flying colors and it really was the i had the similar thought of someone like having a turkey in their oven and being told to leave like that that's yeah. just a big tragedy and, and it is like you know i don't think that counties and you know i, I know that uh, louisville metro has certain leeway over the two main rain line trail train lines that go through our city. But yeah, it is mostly a federal issue. And not only that, but railways are also extremely self-regulatory. They have incredible right. power over their own lines and the space in each side. I mean, they have their own police forces that are, you know, have their own jurisdictions. They have their own EMS services. It's kind of incredible. But no, it was a, it was a wheel bearing and that was the same cause uh, as the one in East Palestine, like it was a, an overheated wheelbarrow. And I was reading about the stuff that they're hauling, this molten sulfur. It has to be transported in a molten state of over, I think it's like 240 degrees or above. And it's like, it It just feels like a real bullet dodged by that community. It could have been a lot worse. But I think, look, we have an aging infrastructure. Things like this are going to continue to happen. Sometimes they're going to be terrible. Sometimes we're going to get lucky. It made me think about, I don't know, about, I think 12, 12, 14 years ago, there was a, a derailment of a fuel oil train in Quebec, and it killed like 47 people. It burned an entire town down. So these are I mean, incredibly dangerous materials, but you know, it's another another reason we need to address the fact that our infrastructure was built 
a long time ago and need some updating. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there obviously there is a lot of work that has been done around infrastructure that's been, you know, allocated and, of course, now is being implemented. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of that involves our rail infrastructure as well. But, like, you know, just the way that we do this and the way that we maintain and, yeah, like you said, regulate the rail industry is mostly self-regulated. That's absolutely the case. Like, and, and that has a lot of implications all the way up and down um, uh, from, from like issues around like homelessness all the way up to uh, yeah, stuff like this derailments and, and, and everything else. So, you know, it, it is, it is probably something that like the federal government should take a look at, but of course that's unlikely <laughs> to, to happen uh, uh, as it's, uh, you know, obviously going to be a partisan issue. And this would be something that would require like 60 votes to, to, to pass, like changing a law like this. So, you know, it, it, it is probably going to fall to state and local governments to like deal with just the fallout to these things whenever they happen, because we do just continue to depend on extremely toxic chemicals to take care, uh, like to, to, to do different manufacturing. Like you like your cell phone, you know, we got to have stuff like this. Uh, and so yeah. it's, that's just kind of how how it goes. So, yeah, um, here's hoping that we do better uh, with our federal regulation of the rail industry. Here's hoping that we have fewer of these things. And here's just being thankful, I guess, on Thanksgiving that it wasn't a lot worse for the folks up there in, in Rockcastle County. All right. So, Matt, here's this next story is something that you unfortunately probably have um, a lot of insight into. Um, mm-hmm. And it is uh, about the, the Louisville bank shooter. So. In April, uh, there was a mass shooting at the Old National Bank headquarters in downtown Louisville. Um, You surely remember it. It was a huge tragedy for the whole community. I mean, it was extremely scary and traumatizing for lots of people. You know, my office is downtown. I luckily wasn't there that day, but, like, a lot of my coworkers were like, hey, what the heck is going on? And, you know, while, you know, everybody at my work was, like, really thankful that it didn't impact anybody there, of course, it did impact a lot of people, and a lot of people died, and that was really 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 tragic um so so that that's what happened you surely remember it uh the reason we're talking about it today is because the police report from the incident was made public last week um i found about it from the washington post who wrote up a thing about it and then linked it but like i read it and it is it's really scary it's really kind of messed up and crazy so the guy that killed all those folks uh connor sturgeon um basically knew exactly how sick he was um, he said that he lied to everybody just to basically prove a point and how about how easy it was to enact this kind of terror. Like that was in, that was his motivation. Was like I'm sick. I'm just gonna do this because I'm sick and to prove that I can get away with it. Like the entire thing is really chilling. But the section that impacted me the most was his writings about obtaining the weapon. So this is a direct quote. Oh my God, this is so easy. Seriously, I knew it would be doable, but this is ridiculous. Walked in and bought a gun, four mags, and 120 rounds for $700. Got some glasses and earplugs. It was legitimately unfathomable how easy this all was. There is nothing anyone could have done. Unquote. That's just really scary. Um, Later on in the writing, Sturgeon says that the NRA is the group that makes it all possible uh, for him to do this. And, you know, Matt, I said at the beginning, this is something that you, uh, you know, have a lot of might have some tragic insights into because like during Mayor Greenberg's uh, mayoral campaign, of course, there was a shooting in his office and you were part of that. You were there for that. You were in the room. You saw it all happen. And that's great. I mean, that's that was absolutely nuts but as somebody who like very narrow i mean i guess it was like um i don't know i don't know exactly know how we define a mass shooting but you were in a room where there were lots of bullets going off and that was bad um and and then this situation happened just you know less than a year later i mean from where you're sitting from from like somebody who's got like firsthand knowledge of this situation like 
what do you how do you take all this in like what do you think about all of this and and what does it make you feel like in, in terms of like our public policy about about guns uh, i mean that's a good question i don't think <clears throat> you know what happened at the at the campaign office didn't really change my uh thoughts on on you know access to guns workplace violence just because i mean if anything it just solidified them because i was i already was absolutely like like most people just throwing my hands up being like what are we going to do about this i mean for me it was sandy hook was like my breaking point where it's like this is this is getting absurd but yeah i mean what happened at the old national bank was it's such a goddamn tragedy like and it just got worse and worse knowing that this kid i don't want to say his name like he did he did it out of like it seemed like he convinced himself that there was some sick altruism involved in it like he would like anybody with half an education knows that any that there's way too many uh it's way too easy to get a weapon of war in the hands of somebody who wants to do harm with it he wasn't you know he didn't prove a point that people didn't already understand and to hurt innocent people some of which you know i knew really really well and a lot of people in uh in not just not just in like the banking community but in politics yeah knew a couple of those folks really really well um it's just it's sad the, the whole thing it just keeps you getting sadder and sadder and the fact that like you know it, it had such a big impact on this community and the rest of the world sort of moved on i mean that's the thing after these it's like it it i my heart absolutely breaks for the people that were there and impacted and survived because like you get stuck with you know the 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 bad stuff the ptsd whatever that sticks around and the world just keeps moving and it's like waiting for the next one i don't know what can be done i you know i only know that like well actually that's not true i do i do have like an opinion on this that i think i want to share which is i think that democrats need to just take the plunge on guns they really do like I know that the courts are going to put up a lot of stop gaps. I know that, you know, they're trying to basically the extreme right is trying to legislate more access to guns through the courts. But I really think that what happened uh, the past couple cycles with abortion. Yeah. Like uh, Democrats were scared of this issue and they, you know, they dressed it up as, um, you know, women, access to women's health care. And then it was reproductive health. And then they, they finally just started saying abortion. And they found out that like, oh, this is a this is a, a a space where we can operate effectively. That's not a fifty fifty issue. It's not going to, you know, uh, to damn us to person to to permanent minorities uh, in legislatures if we deal it. So like, I, I think the model of how uh, candidates and lawmakers from like you know big city mayors, congressional candidates, state ledge, like Governor Bashir did in this last election. That finding comfort in that zone, like do it with guns now. You you literally showed that you can touch that third rail. Voters will not punish you. I mean, I've seen polling that shows like in Kentucky recently, Democrat or sorry, Republican polling that shows that when you take common sense sort of gun safety measures, it pulls in the mid 70s. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's not a 50-50 issue. No. So I want to see people like you know the the fight we've had over the fights we're having over abortion i think offer a roadmap on guns 
Yeah. Um, I mean, it is hard to, it is easy to forget. There was like a federal gun bill that was passed just about a year ago. It was very minimal and it was like, you know, basically like a compromise that was through like the budget process. And those are just really hard to come by. And, and, and like getting things passed in the federal Congress is just so hard when there are like laws that don't involve the budget. And it's just really hard to get those things um, sure. in that way, of course. But yeah, like I don't, I don't, I, I don't disagree with you at all. Like this is something that like just do something drastic. Like do something drastic because there are, people aren't going to get upset about it. They are going to be supportive of it. They're they're in the federal Congress. The the issue, one of the other issues that I have about this before I move off of it though, is that like while gun laws in like the country of the United States are ridiculous, like they're just so much even worse here in Kentucky. Um, yeah. and, and you know, this, this specific issue about like, Hey, let's make sure, make sure, let's make sure somebody who isn't like severely mentally ill, like, let's make sure that somebody who isn't like, um, you know, like whatever, uh, you know, has a diagnosis or, or whatever, they have like a longer waiting period or has a longer checking out period that can't just walk in and walk out with $700 and, and an AR-15. Like, let's do some stuff around that. Let's like get make it a little easier to like have an intervention and take guns away from things. These are things that other state governments have done. And our state has moved exactly in the other direction. They have only just made it easier for people to obtain and have guns. Um, and, and, you know, like those AR-15s, they kill people so quickly. It doesn't really matter. Like if you had had like, you know, everybody in that entire conference room had been like a sheriff's deputy with like three sidearms or whatever, it wouldn't have stopped this tragedy from happening. Like it just, it just wouldn't have like more guns is not, not necessarily the answer, but that seems to be all of this that the state legislature has to offer. Like, I don't know, you know, obviously the, the easy answer to this is absolutely not. But like, do you think that there's anything that people can do in this state to like prevent like, uh, you know, our gun laws from being as bad as they are or basically just, like, win more elections. <laughs> I mean, it, yes, but it involves, like, you know, a, a genie and a lamp. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. But if it did, number one, like, a nonpartisan legislature. Yeah, yeah, like, maybe. A, a nonpartisan legislature in which you don't have one party protecting its right flank nonstop from gun nuts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then, that, like, that's that's literally... The only thing, I mean, like, look, you, I think that I had a, I'm not going to say who it was, but he's a, a very prominent former conservative columnist. How about that? <laughs> who, we were talking, we were talking about like, it was after, you know, it's, a, it's sad to say, I can't even remember which school shooting it was, yeah. you know, that's, that's, but he said, you know, you could pile the, the, the bodies of dead children in front of some of these Republican senators. That's not going to move them an inch. No. So until you have people that. Like, don't have to have their jobs be dependent on just how much they're willing to go to the mat over guns mm-hmm. everywhere all the time. Then, no, I don't think anything changed. But, like, a nonpartisan legislature, I think, is is a solution to a lot of things that might uh, might be bugging Kentuckians. Yeah. Um, we'll see how that goes. Well, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't I, give it a give it a, a one in six trillion shot yeah who knows who knows uh people are always giving up power uh you know uh without any fight all the time that's all that's all the time, time. <laughs> just because just because it's the right thing to do absolutely absolutely um yeah that that's all really messed up and sad stuff um and so let's leave that behind and move to something different uh more politics we got more politics to talk about so um filing season is underway i don't think that people can file for state races quite yet you can like 
or give your intent to run at KREF or whatever. But county clerk's offices are accepting filing registrations, and we got some big news this week about Josie Raymond. And before we get into that, I, <laughs> I, mean, I want to do my best to like give some kind of disclosure. I am working really closely with, with Josie this cycle uh, on her campaign. Um, I, I've been present for a lot of the discussions about what she's going to do. Like I am um, talking to her quite a bit. So like, uh, you know, take everything I'm going to say with, with however many grains of salt you feel is appropriate. Um, I'm not going to like betray anything that she said in confidence. Um, but I'm going to basically do my best to give you like my opinion about all of this and how I feel about it. Please do not take anything that I th- say and say it was uh, Josie that said it because it's me saying all of this. So here is the news piece. Um, Josie Raymond has filed to run for Metro Council District 10 instead of House District 41, which was a big piece of news that surprised a lot of people. When she told me she was thinking about this, I nearly hit the floor. Um, You know, Josie Raymond has been in the legislature since 2018 when she essentially forced the retirement of Steve Riggs, who'd been in the legislature for quite a long time before that. She'd been elected three times, including once where she was redistricted into a seat with former Representative Mary Lou Marzian. Uh, Representative Marzian then made the, the decision to step aside to allow for Josie to run in in the seat. And um, she Josie, of course, won that year. So uh, you know, I, giving her uh, rationale in her announcement for what she was doing, this is the kind of the pull quote to me. Quote, after years on defense, I'm ready to play offense, unquote. So, of course, the Democrats are one seat away from a supermajority on the Metro, Louisville Metro Council, and they are in the super, super minority in the Kentucky State House of Representatives. Um, a little bit more con- context about Josie. She read, she led the Get Up campaign last year to make universal pre-K a major issue in the mayor's race. And then, of course, Mayor Greenberg ended up making that issue central to his campaign. I think during the primary, that was like the one mail piece that went out to everybody. Matt would probably know that better than me, but I think that's right. Um <laughs> And, you know, Mayor Greenberg also included funds for universal pre-K in his first budget. So at first, it did seem like a bit of a step down, but I think it can definitely seem more like a move from a seat where you can to a seat where you can actually do something. I think in uh, Representative Raymond's, what, five sessions in the legislature, I don't think she's had a single bill that's received a hearing, um, which is pretty, pretty wild. So... Um, all that being said, Matt, when you learned about this, what did you think? I mean, it makes sense. I, I, I'm, you know, I don't know Josie anywhere near as well as you, but I represented Raymond, but, um, you know, you can, you know, you can tell ambitious people. I mean, you just learn to spot them from a mile away. She's got a lot of ambition. And if the Republican legislatures in Frankfurt, it's like one thing more than Democratic legislators. It's ambitious Democratic legislators. They stomp them out like a rhino stomps out a fire. So it makes sense. Um, you know, Metro Council is a, a, a cool office where you get a lot of um, where the rubber hits the road for a lot of cool services. You get a discretionary fund. Um, so obviously it's a little bit easier to get, you know, you're not passing laws, you're passing, you know, measures, but um she can have a lot of effect on our community i mean i think it's going to change the dynamic of the metro council a lot uh, should she win like her presence is going to be felt um you know i wonder if you know i've always wondered how long it's going to take frankfurt to um really start tinkering with the metro council and i wonder if this will do anything like to cat as a catalyst to that but in the meantime you know i hope she's effective i i you know it, it's sometimes the Metro council seems like it's a little bit devoid of 
really strong voices and um you know she'll be great at it yeah i, I also want you to know I, whoever's running against her i will just to just to go up against robert i'll manage your campaign <laughs> <laughs> just I'm, I'm kidding i'm kidding no yeah well uh yeah don't don't do that um yeah yeah i think it's important when we like talk about ambition because it does get a little dicey like ambition's like good in a legislator oftentimes just because like you want people who are interested in doing things to be the people who are representing you who are like working hard at the job and and trying to to actually use the office to do stuff i agree with you i think um ambition is a good a good thing uh to say about about josie and a lot of the other people who i think are the best at the job um um, really right. in kind of both parties um but um yeah i i i don't know like it is it is a a, a step t- towards something you can do but you know one of the things you mentioned is that like local local governments are kind of the province of state government and they can start and have started intimating that they would want to start messing with metro council uh yeah we will see um if if this um makes them actually start moving on some of the measures that they've put the state government has put before yeah. um uh, has filed uh, already um you know I, in in thinking and this is where it's really important for everybody to remember this is me talking and not josie raymond talking um I really like I think that Josie Raymond is and should be headed towards bigger and better things. And I think this move makes it more likely that she will be the mayor sometime soon. You know, I, I've wondered like where she will end up in making this move to local government, I think points her in that direction. I don't even think she's considered that at all yet. I think she's very focused on Metro 10 as a race. Um, but, uh, but, but that's something that I think is in her future. And, and I certainly hope so, because I, I think she'd be really good at it. I mean, this is a discussion we've had several times, Matt, as you've been working on the mayor mayoral races in the past is like, why would anyone want this job it seems so hard it seems so like crazy it seems like it's something that there's like offers no reward and getting somebody who has served in state legislature which has a lot of the same dynamics except for like the capability to actually maybe do something um i think would be what would be like a, a really good fit what do you think this says about about you know representative raymond's future um you know they say that like every senator looks in the mirror and sees a president. I think every <laughs> Metro council member looks in the mirror and sees a mayor. And, you know, there, there's like, it used to be that there were these pathways for ambitious people who wanted to, to do big things. I mean, you could go to the legislature and move up the ladder and get in leadership. You could, you know, run for state treasurer and, you know, take the, I'm going to go to auditor to AG, like the Jack Conway route kind of mm-hmm. um, like where you climb, like, there aren't that many ladders left for Democrats to climb yeah. in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't know, like, who's going to run for mayor, like, uh, against, you know, Mayor Greenberg or when he, you know, finishes his second term. But, you know, it's a lot of people are fighting over a smaller piece of uh, political power now. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I think, I, 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 like, I think that it's a good move for her if that's the direction she wants to go but you know she didn't ask my advice <laughs> and like i would you know what i mean like she's if that's what she wants to do i i think you're probably right like you know you can't make this move without people thinking about it but i, I doubt that she, i doubt that that's like her motivating factor she seems like somebody who wants to be involved and wants to get things done and if that's the case yeah. metro council great space. she is by the way she's my state rep and i've always been impressed that like she's just everywhere we do stuff at church and my kids school and she's there all the time she's very present Mm -hmm. uh 
so it, like that's more way more than half the battle for metro council yeah so should she get it should be a great fit yeah I, I i agree with that yeah no i i would say absolutely that's not what motivates her moving up i just think it's 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 more likely now than it ever has been i think that's exactly right um yeah uh it, it is it is uh, your your greater commentary about like the routes for democrats to move forward like weirdly like the office of metro mayor was like enlarged this century right like in 2001 it went from just mayor of louisville to mayor of metro louisville with like the the county judge executive and the mayor becoming the same position um but like metro council members are zero for becoming metro mayor uh which is kind of interesting um you know we had mayor fisher for three terms and, and mayor abramson for two and neither one served in metro council mayor abramson was an alderman in the old system though um Okay, one one kind of like last thing I wanted to just say is like, um, and this again, 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 again is me. It is me talking, not Josie talking. Uh, I think that this is just a really significant indictment about how service works in in Frankfurt. Um, it is a part time job. Uh, it is just a few months of the year, so your pay isn't even steady. Um, you can get paid during session, like a certain like stipend and, and a salary or whatever. And then after that, you basically get paid a per diem if you go to Frankfurt and do work while you're there. Um, and, and it's like very restricted in terms of how you're able to do that. You know, uh, I think if you have a certain job, if you are a lawyer, if you are a small business owner, if you are retired and have a pension or a retirement fund or something like that, this job becomes a lot more attractive or, or something that you can do. But if you're a working professional, like like Josie is, who doesn't work in the legal profession, um, it is extremely hard to hold down a regular job and do this job. Uh, it is just it's it's nearly impossible. And, and you may be able to string it along and make it work for a certain period of time, um, like you know, like Representative Raymond was able to do. Um, but at some point, like it just becomes like a financial vulnerability. Like how off, how long are you going to go? Like significantly restricting like the work that you're able to do in order to serve your community. And like that is just not forever for anyone. Uh, and, and it does just kind of have an expiration date if you don't have um, the independent uh, situation to do that. Uh, also, like, you know, we've talked about the legislative pension usually in, in like negative terms, like they pay themselves too much or whatever. But that was something in the, the distant past that made this job a lot more attractive. Like if you serve a certain number of years, you are guaranteed a pension, which is attractive. You know, you it, it keeps you running again it keeps you becoming an, an expert and they have just really really taken that whittled that down to nothing mostly just because it's it's very unpopular um i mean i know that you've talked to a lot of people running for office and i know like their individual like financial reasons are like a big reason people do and don't run so do you have anything to say on, on that level matt sure um you know i'd like to offer i, I think i have a very kind of unique uh, perspective on this because I've worked in uh, as a staffer in the Kentucky legislature, but I've also worked as a staffer um, in the Illinois House of Representatives. So I've worked for the Speaker of the House of Illinois, and then I worked for the Speaker in Frankfurt. Um, it's night and day. Like Illinois has a professional legislature where it, I mean they don't they're not constricted by thirty and sixty day sessions, but it's you know you're paid. You know, I think it's like you know, I'm going to say like eighty thousand dollars a year more for, but then it's more for chairman and leadership positions. You have money for that you're given money by the state for an in district office with a paid for in district staffer, um, and so you don't just have farmers, retirees, and lawyers, which is pretty. You know, that's like that's the bulk 
of of the legislature in Kentucky. And um, nothing against farmers, nothing against lawyers, nothing against retired people. But, you know, if you want to know why there's not good bills about working parents, it's because there's not that many working parents right. uh, in the legislature. I mean, I, I I told this when I started working in the legislature. They were like, what do you think? And I was like, I really think you guys need to professionalize this. Because it is, you know, especially a legislature that wants to gobble up more power from the executive, as this one does. It, you're, you're placing that hands, that power, not in the hands of the legislature, but in legislative leadership. Yes. Who gets paid a salary that, and so. And staff. A, yeah. Yeah. They have a, a staff that they totally control. The LRC is. The formerly fiercely independent LRC is probably losing some of that. It's it's all partisan now. Like there is, yeah, it's it, all no more independence at all. Yeah. So uh, again, like if you want to, you like how I was talking about having a genie and making the legislature nonpartisan. Like paying them more is something that would really drastically change this state for the better because yeah. it would tell people like this is a job you can have if you can get it. You don't have to be independently wealthy. You don't have to be retired. You don't have to do it for your business purpose. Like this, you know, you're an insurance agent. It helps that you're a state senator or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So. I mean, I'll just be totally frank. Like when, when Josie was stepping down, I did have a few people that came to me and were like, would you be interested in running? And I really did consider it for a little bit and, and you know, talk to my wife about it, talk to my family about it. And just like at the end of the day, I, I could not make this work financially. There's no way that I could do this job. Um, I, I would have to quit my day job. I'd have to stop doing a lot of other stuff. And yeah, I just, I just would not be able to do this. And, and Plus that, you got to quit. You have to quit your job just to run. Yes. Yeah. Like that's yeah, the, absolutely. That's the, In a primary. So yeah. The, <laughs> the, the prospect of like, give uh, of like running for office is a full-time job. Like I, 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 I hate that that's the case, but it is. That's why you have like people that are independently wealthy or whatever have means or they can raise like you have to be able to put your life aside because to, you know, like state house, you could probably get away with having a job. But like you're taking a huge, huge gamble for 30,000 bucks a year and the privilege of, you know, driving down I-64 when it's 20 degrees. Yep. You know, like no, and no the dark and cold in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, God, I could I could probably still do that. I drove to, I commuted to Frankfurt for like seven years i could do it my eyes closed yeah it's just it's just miserable (laughs) like the the kentucky legislature is was not the most fun place to work a lot of of nice people a lot of neat experiences but like i get why you know that it can feel like the baton death march even if you're in the majority yep yeah absolutely and i guess yeah that would have been back when we were in the majority that you were working there so 50, we had 53. Yeah. Yeah. Um, double, so. more than double what we have now. Like almost triple. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. No, and people used to ask, like, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? I was like, when it's going to go, and when it goes, it's going to go so fast, it's going to make your head snap. Yep. You know? it, hey, look, look at you're right again. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah um, maybe next week we'll talk a little bit more i i do think that there will be a primary in mary uh, in uh josie raymond's old district i think mary lou marzian is in. i think there will be um other people getting in and what i i just i just don't think that this it's an inevitability that mary lou marzian wins i think that is kind of how people are thinking right now but i don't think that that's the case um and, yeah and and you know there there's a long long history of people leaving their seats in kentucky politics and then not getting the 
back. Uh, and that's, I don't know, you know, if Mary Lou Marzian wants to work hard and run, I think she's she's definitely the odds-on favorite to win. Um, but other people, if they are willing to work hard and out, outwork her, which we'll see if that's something that they're able to do if Mary Lou Marzian works hard at it or if uh, other people who run really do work hard, that is something I think it is a little bit more uh, open and not as much of a foregone conclusion. So maybe, yeah, I, yeah. I agreed. Like it's it's you know, the district is the most politically active couple square miles in Kentucky, yes. like by by a long shot. Somebody, and I don't mean any disrespect to former Representative Marzian, but like you know, she was there for a very long time. Mm-hmm. People were deferential to her. It was a you know, but she was serving when some people that are interested weren't even born. Yes, like they're not they're not going to be deferential to her, nor should they. Like if you want it. You, you you don't get to you know you got to you got to fight for it. It's not your seat anymore. You got to win yeah. it back, and you got to win it back through hard work. Seats don't belong to anybody. They belong to the people that live there. Um, and yeah, and you know if if uh, yeah, former Representative Marzi wants to do the work to put in the work to to get these the folks that live here to vote for her. Like yeah, I think she's she's the odds-on favorite. But you know I do just think it's uh it is absolutely up in the air if other people are are going to get in and, and work hard at it. All right. I, I- uh, one, one more note on that, if you don't mind. Like, yeah. I remember when Brandon Cohen won the Metro Eight. Yeah. Um, and like, I, well, I hope we don't see a repeat of that, where we had like this big, gigantic, expensive, bloody primary, and then you know, Representative Marty Marzi, and after, if she were to win and be, would after two years be like, you know what, I'm I'm sick of this drive, and I'm sick of being in the super minority. So, yeah. I, I I hope that you know we don't repeat that. Because a lot of people left a lot of blood on the floor for that primary. Yeah, <laughs> if I remember correctly, you were working on a campaign for that one as well. Uh, yeah, the uh, the yeah. I mean, I, it, when you're talking about seats in the legislature, I just think that Democrats' tenures are just going to get shorter and shorter, just because there is just it's just so hard. I mean, that by, I, that's by design. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. That's that's not a you know a, a, a fault. That's part of part of the design. It's like. I'm going to go to Frankfurt and do X, Y, and Z. No, you're not. Yeah. You know, the easiest way to get those things done, switch parties. You know, I hate saying it. Yeah. Yeah. Then you can't win your seat in Louisville. So there you go. Uh, there you go. <sighs> All right, let's move to let's move back to DC. Talk a little bit about Jamie Comer. Um, <laughs> if you haven't been paying attention, which if you haven't, God bless you. Uh, Jamie Comer has been on a crusade against Hunter Biden since becoming the Oversight Committee chair there in DC in the House of Representatives. His hearings have mostly been nonsense. Uh, have not made much traction. I don't think that many people outside of like talk radio and like the you know conservative podcasts are paying much attention to what he has to say. Um, but he is still plugging away at it. And this week, Hunter Biden agreed to testify before the Oversight Committee. But he said he would only do so in public. Comer rejected this stipulation, saying that he must testify in a deposition first. And that is typically how these things do work, because you sit for a deposition. And then after that, you do like a public testimony. Hunter Biden is the subject of a subpoena from the Oversight Committee. And this overture from Hunter Biden is like a compromise to be like, okay, I'll come. I'll give up the fight where I'm fighting you, but I have to testify in public. You know, Hunter Biden obviously doesn't want his words twisted out of a deposition, which is absolutely what would happen if he sat for one. Um, But, you know, testifying under oath, especially when you're under investigation by like a special prosecutor like he is, poses problems for him. Um, So, Matt, I'm just curious, like, what is the situation? What do you think the likelihood that is that Jamie Comer comes out of this situation 
looking uh, you know, better among his Republican colleagues than he does right now. And by that, I will remind you that like there already have been some murmurings that he should be replaced as chair and is doing a bad job. Yeah, that's a really good question, Robert. Uh, so among his Republican colleagues, like he has to it's I don't think that there's many of them in the in the Republican caucus that would say you were too hard on Hunter Biden. Yeah. You know? So like if he does get him, he has to go whole hog uh, and just thrash this guy. But I don't know if he's up to the job. You know what I mean? I don't. He's tried to mean, thrash people in the past, and it's just gone really badly for him. Yeah, it's just go, I don't think he's up to it. I mean, he's got, like, 36 lawyers on his staff of that committee. And, like, take take somebody who is, a, you know, like, in the know. Somebody reads the paper every day, right? They, they occasionally go to Politico, but they're not, you know, they're not obsessive about politics. And then ask them what this Hunter Biden thing's about, and they'll just shake their head there. I have no idea. I have no idea whatsoever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the only thing that people really seem to know about it is that it's kind of a Republican fiasco. They keep like having this, you know, whistleblower who, you know, doesn't there? Yeah. <laughs> like who doesn't can exist. Like, let <laughs> me just say it, who does not exist. Like and they keep just, you know, swinging a miss. But I, look, it, it was ne- that's not the point. The point is never about. You know, it's not about getting to the bottom of things. It's not about bringing justice. It's not about getting, you know, the influence of outside, you know, money out of politics. No, it's just keep investigating so that there's some sort of counterbalance to the travesty that is Donald Trump. So they can say, you know, Joe Biden's family's crooked, too. Yeah. So we're not just sitting here. So, okay. So Jared Kushner took like two billion from the Saudis. Big deal. Did you hear about, you know, Hunter Biden? This is just it, it, it's a it's an epic waste of time. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, and it's, it's like they're not even good at it. Yeah. You know, yeah. What I mean? it's one thing to, to it's one thing to if you're going to weaponize Congress, like come up with a better weapon. This is kind of he's like and more. And I really I say this from the bottom of my heart. The more people hear about Hunter Biden, the more they feel bad for him. Yeah, I think like, that's right. Yeah. Like. Joe Biden's got a son with some terrible issues and had made some terrible mistakes in the past and has like clearly gone through some shit and might not be, you know, on an even keel or, you know, mentally healthy, whatever. Uh, that makes him nothing but relatable. Yeah. Everybody's family has somebody like that. You might be somebody like that. You might love somebody like that. I, I, I just, uh, they think that they're embarrassing him and they're just humanizing a guy who's just, trying to do the right thing for his son yeah so like that's how that's how i think they mess they mess up if i i think they're very smart to be like no i'm not gonna let you take me behind closed doors so you can selectively leak things completely out of context like you know from god's ears into brett bears or you know god's <laughs> mouth into brett bears ear like no way that, that's that's a stupid thing to do they should stick to their guns and if jamie Comer wants to do that hunter biden should get a really good lawyer who embarrasses the shit out of him? Yeah, I, I think I think about like how much the playbook on this has changed in the past like decade or so, right? So like you know during the Obama administration when there was a Republican majority, like this is Benghazi, right? And you, you had this situation where it was like 
you know, you used to really be able to count on Congress to, like, call balls and strikes, no matter who was, like, in charge or whatever. And there's, like, always charges of partisanship, and partisanship's always been a part of it. But, like, at the end of the day, like, you know, the Republicans and the Watergate Committee were like, yeah, no, this is bad. We got to get rid of this guy. Like, you know, and, and really maybe back to the, like, the Clinton years, there was, like, the, the partisanship. White, yeah. Whitewater. White, yeah. yeah, Whitewater. You know, the Republicans were like, yeah, there isn't as much there there. And it was just, like, talk radio that was, like, taking this up and, like, making it a big deal. Um, yeah, then you have, like, Benghazi, where it is, like, very clear that, like, nobody intended this to happen. There really it was, you know, an intelligence failure, but it wasn't, like, it didn't go to the Secretary of State's office. And you have, like, Trey Gowdy trotting out Hillary Clinton, making her testify for, like, 15 hours or whatever. And, like, the, the Democratic playbook or, like, the administration playbook is, like, well, if they ask us, we got to comply. Like, you know, that's Congress. That's checks and balances. And then, you know, Donald Trump is like, no, we don't. We don't have to do any of this stuff. And it yeah. is just like now if you want to make hay as an investigator in Congress and you clearly are a partisan, you just have to do it a little bit different because people aren't just going to bow down to you like Hillary Clinton did for Trey Gowdy because they learned from that experience. They learned that that's a bad idea. They learned that you're not going to treat them fairly. And, you know, now you got to do something different. And, and you know, Maybe there's something innovative or, you know, politically like nefarious or whatever that like a smart political operative could pull off to make this worse for the Biden family. But Jamie Comer is not the guy that's going to come up with that. Right. He's not just like bad at the investigation part. He's also just bad at the politics part. He's bad at like actually figuring out that he's doing a bad job at this and he needs to change tactics and basically is just acting like the Republicans have who have been in control of, when they have been in control of Congress every time over the past decade. Well, it's, I mean, what, what a, like an interesting way to look at him being the chair of this, you know, extremely important committee was it, he almost like he was pushed into it by Donald Trump's failures at politics. Because in 2018, you know, he, he ran for governor. In 2015, mm -hmm. he lost mm -hmm. uh, to Bevin in a primary, so he ran for Congress. He's in like one of the absolute safest districts in the country. I mean that. Like he's that guy's. He could stay in uh, CD one for the rest of his life if he wants to. But in 18, like there was such a wipeout that all of a sudden this guy who is like in his second term is sort of considered a senior member. Like right. he's a middle now, and now he's like one of the the you know, the old farts of the Republican caucus because he's been around for more than more than three, uh, yeah. three terms. Mm -hmm. So like he, you know, he was, uh, he was in the Kentucky legislature. He was the ag commissioner, but like you do get the sense that this man is a, a touch out of his depth. He's great on Fox news. He's a good talking head. He delivers message, but like on his feet, yeah, he might be at the yeah. I'm not saying that like I'd be better at the job. Let me be clear. Well, you're not going for the job either. Like you didn't <laughs> you didn't I mean, sign up for it. Yeah. You signed up for a different job. You're you're good at that one. Uh Okay, last thing to talk about today, Matt, is that Mac Brown has stepped down as the chair of RPK. So Mac Brown has been the chair of RPK, the Republican Party of Kentucky, for eight years. So he oversaw the takeover of the state legislature that we already referenced. And like you said, it went from zero to a million really quickly. You know, Democrats having 54 seats all the way down to 20. Um, saw Republicans win the AG's office for the first time in like a century or, or whatever. Um, so he has overseen a lot of success for the Republican Party. Um, you know, they overtook Democrats in terms of terms of registration after not losing a federal race for like 30 years or whatever. Um, and he decided to step step down this week. 
Um, you know, Brown has seen a lot of success. He has had a lot of things that happened that were like good for Republicans. It's really hard to say how much he's had to do with that actual success. And I think the things that he's actually good at are different from the actual success piece. The Republican ascendancy was was a, a matter of time. That's what the point that you made. And I think it's absolutely the, the truth. It was a matter of time. And Donald Trump was probably the thing that pushed them over the top. I think, in my opinion, the thing that Mac Brown did better than anybody, like the thing that he probably should get credit for, just like looking at it from, um, you know, as as detached from my partisanship as I can, is like the Republican Party has a lot of wings uh, right now. And there are like a lot of like different pieces of the puzzle and they have to like figure out how to work together like they have the liberty wing and they have like the chamber of commerce wing and they have like the northern kentucky people and then they have the jason nemesis and they have like all these rural folks who want to you know issue a gun whenever you walk into school or whatever um and, and you know all of those people have to work together and he seemed like he was actually pretty good at like wrangling that into something that was able to be wielded um but you know he is now gone so matt um what do you think about mac brown leaving do you think that uh, am I right here about that's what he was good at or am I way off? And then what do you think it means that he is no longer sitting in that chair? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert on like RPK politics, like internal politics. You can talk to Trey Watson about that, but like, I, I agree, you know, it's sort of, you know, he oversaw this incredible and he'll get lots of pats on the back, but like, you know, he, he was a rainmaker. Like it was going to rain anyways, you know? Um, <laughs> right. He's a nice guy, personally. I've, I've, you know, worked on a couple of nonpartisan projects with him years and years ago. He's really, really nice. And like, I think the biggest, the the two takeaways to me are like, his job was to give this like traditional old school businessman face mm -hmm. to an increasingly crazy Republican Party. Right. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, that like he could walk into Louisville. And have businesses feel good because you were given a check to Mac Brown's, you know, finance guy or something, it, instead of you know these these yahoos that, like you said, want to issue a gun at every school. Like he was, he was a front man. He was a face. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And that's that, that's that's what he did. And like, I, I'm not slamming him when I say that. Like that's an important thing. You know, Steve Bashir was a great face for the Republic for the Democratic Party. You know, it made people. Uh, you know, except for, I, I, I wonder, you know, he's part of this, you know, aging out of the McConnell folks and things like that. Yeah. I, I mean, don't expect somebody to take his place that cares, uh, to, that cares about our city as much as he does. Yeah. And I think at the end of the, at the end of the day, like having him uh, be the chair of the, the Republican Party was probably a really good thing for Louisville. And we might not know that until he gets replaced by somebody who does not give a shit about this city. I mean, actually, I take that back. Who actively hates this city. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's, you know, if you're, you're going to have possible. a real, Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to have a real race to replace him, like, you know, somebody's going to come out you know hating louisville is going to be part of their resume yeah uh, yeah yeah if you have an open race for it that does seem like 
the majority position in the Republican Party these days. Um, RPK for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, just lastly, on this specific issue, you know, you've also, in addition to all the other things we've talked about you doing, you have worked in, in party politics also. You have been like staffer KDP, right? I think. Um, yeah, for the I was the comms director for KDP, and then I worked for the Democratic Party of Illinois for a while, too. Yeah. So, like, how much does this person actually matter? Um, what it, like do you think that having a good or bad person here can really make a difference to how this state is governed? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a large organization. Like, it's you have to have somebody that's you know good at spotting talent, good at you know creating loyalty, can be a broker when when people have disagreements. You have to have somebody who either everybody believes is honest or everybody believes is too powerful to win. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. There's, there's no two ways about it. You know, yeah. um, uh, so we'll see. But like it, that is a plum spot. Yeah. Like we're you're probably going to have. I wonder if do they pay their chair? That's the real good question. I don't know if they do or not. <laughs> I'm, I don't know if they're paid, but like, you know, used to be a, a chair executive director. Yeah. Position like the KDP had that for a while, too, under under like Dan Logston. And it's, you know, it's a it's a good job. It's a demanding job. But. There's, you know, there's a really, and I'm not trying to be morbid, there's a really good chance that in a couple of years we have an open U.S. Senate seat. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the question is, like, is this where the Massey's and Rand Paul's of the world make their move? What like, happens to Daniel Cameron? Like, you know, what is, like, what's Jamie Cole? I mean, I, like, yeah. Dan, Daniel Cameron would be a great, like, if I was Daniel Cameron, I would swallow my pride and be party chair. Yeah, that might not be a bad idea. Like so it keeps you keeps you in the game, you know. Yes, I think they'll they'll find some way to pay him. You know, he can, you know, that like be party chair, be the big Bashir critic. I mean, that would be a smart move for him. But there's the thing: like a lot of people are going to be trying placing their horse with like, you know, you got a governor's race, you know, in four years. Like, you know, Andy Bashir ain't running again, yeah. which breaks my heart. Yeah. But. You know, you've, you're going to have an open U.S. Senate seat. You could have somebody moving, you know, to for, from, you know, Jamie Comer might run for governor. He, he's going to get termed out his chair. So, like, I think that you're going to have different people trying to get their horse in there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we leave, you did mention you wanted to talk about college football. Um, and as a, oh, yeah. as, as a UGA fan, I mean, uh, there was new, there was like uh, talk that, you know, the SEC may get totally shut out of the playoff. Are you, are you upset or scared about that? Or you think that, you know, Georgia's got it against Alabama in the SEC championship? I mean, I, I, I yeah, I think we're going to win the SEC championship. I, I really do. Teams get, no, here's, here's, like, this is what I want to say. Cause I don't know. You, you got to, you got a UK. I'm looking at a screen. He's got a UK sign and a card sign. It's it's the St. Louis Cardinals. It's baseball. Okay, okay, so great, this great. Is, yeah, making sure. Yeah, yeah. So like anybody that thought Louisville was going to be Kentucky, I think was crazy. I just that's that's the only point I wanted to make. Kentucky, like and like, I'm going to tell you, I put my money where my mouth is on this one. Louisville, I don't want to call them a fraud, right? They're not a fraud. They could beat Florida State, who also could be a fraud. But, like, Kentucky is perennial, like, Charlie Brown getting the football pulled away from it. But, like, they're playing a tougher conference. They're in the SEC yeah, East. It just means like, more. That's really the end of, at the end of the and, day. And, like, <laughs> Louisville barely beat Virginia. You yeah. know, they lost to Pitt. All right, to Pitt. Yeah. Kentucky and, and lost to South to- Carolina. But South Carolina, I mean, I think South Carolina is better than South the record. South Carolina wouldn't yeah. lose to Pitt. 
That's and yeah. The, no, I the, think the that South is, Carolina would really roll Pitt. Absolutely. U of L's marquee win against Notre Dame. Another perennial fraud. Yeah, that absolutely. people are like, we did it. We beat Clemson. Rushed the field when they beat Notre Dame. Doesn't Clemson so always rush the field? Isn't that kind of their thing? I mean, like, yeah. let me tell you, the only reason they did that was Dabo Sweeney got students to do it so he could keep his job. <laughs> <laughs> Again, excuse my language, but anyways, that's my point. U of L fans, like, like just take a deep breath. Yeah. Right? Well, you know, the nice thing about being a Louisville fan, which uh, the thing is, like, you can have that season where your team, you know, is is what it is. Like, you know, they they weren't able to beat Kentucky. They didn't beat Pitt. They're still going to probably go to the Orange Bowl. Like, that's, that's like, that's nice. That's great. They Look, get to I, go th- to, like, I think a, they could be. I think they could beat FSU. I really do. Yeah, and if they if that yeah. happens, who knows? Where, you know, don't they go to a better bowl? No, I guess they if they win the ACC championship, they go to the Orange Bowl no matter what. But yeah, I think it is like it is just kind of nuts that like you know this team you know they they are what they are. Like I I, I agree with what you have to say. Um, but yeah, they they still get to go to like one of these premier bowls while these like middling sec teams like Ole miss or lsu or uh you know whoever like you know probably potentially like alabama gets shut out of um you know one of those big bowls because you know they play in a tough conference where there's like five or six pretty good teams um you know that that i think also has to do with like why mark stoops decided to stay at kentucky instead of taking the uh texas a&m job where they want to win the conference which is like impossible to do like you know it's just not gonna happen for anybody else like it is it is just what it is you have to be one of those uh really incredible programs that just is able to pour infinity money and uh has like the the pedigree and the coach coach there to actually do the job and uh absolutely yeah, it's tough he was he was smart not to take that a&m job that is all like I mean, besides the payout that he would walk away with, like forty million bucks, like they couldn't buy a good team. And I mean, literally. Yeah. So, yeah. What's, I, the, what's the point? Yeah, and I, I mean, I think I think like a lot of the critics at Kentucky are like, well, Mark Stoops is the first person to ever really get resources to build a program, and it's like, you know, I think you need to look at Texas A&M to see like what like good resources actually purchase you. Like they also yeah. have about the same number of wins a year that Kentucky does, and like a lot more money. So it's like not really about that. It is like it does take some level of of like you know ability to 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 coach but you know um i have made a lot of fun of uh louisville today more than i have uh like the ufl team um i you know i i grew up here i grew up in a time when this city was probably like 60 40 louisville and kentucky fans and it is definitely now closer to 80 20 so i have been gloating quite a bit this week to all of my friends and co co-workers uh who i work with every day uh i probably i will get my come up and yeah uh but it is uh it is it is one of those things where like i don't think that like if if you put Nick Saban as the coach of Kentucky, you're still gonna win seven games. It's just like that's that's what this program is, and um, it's very that, bad. That that this that is you have thoughts. Georgia was plagued by that loser thinking. No offense, but like that. <laughs> At like, least you're Georgia. Georgia. You had a title in the '80s. You had you know uh, horrible well, person yeah, Herschel Walker. But, but, but like yeah, I also was there for the you know. The, the Ray Mark Goff Rick. years, the Tim, Jim Donning years, and the Mark, where it's like, what's never going to happen? Like, no, get you know, get it together. You, like Kentucky, Kentucky, there are schools that do not deserve to not have a good football program. Kentucky, you are a flagship state university in a school with rich football talent. 
University of Illinois, same thing. Indiana, same thing. You just don't have an excuse to be bad at football. I don't know, man. We don't really, uh, you know, we don't really have the richest football talent. That's uh, Texas does. They have enough talent there to support like seven teams. Uh, you know, Michigan does. Ohio does, and that's Kentucky. Like, no, you made a cho- you guys made a choice to be like we, we, we demand a good foot uh, a good basketball program. That's, now, I don't yeah. care about that. I, I I never saw a basketball game. I've never I've never watched the Georgia basketball game. I just don't care. Wow, right? You know, like Mike well, White. You know, Mike White fan. I don't, I don't know who Mike White is. That's how people. Whenever anybody asks, like. Is, that stupid old debate is Kentucky in the South or whatever. It's like you're a basketball state. You answered your own question. We only you know have I mean? like there's there's no basketball states in the North. They're just like weirdly separated throughout the whole state. Where you have like North Carolina, Indiana, Kentucky, and Kansas. Those are the four basketball states, and those four things don't have anything to do with each other. I don't know. That's like a, there's, there's an Atlantic piece in there somewhere. I think probably there's basketball, there's basketball cities within football states, like uh, you know. Uh, what I don't. New York is probably still a football town, like baseball. That's a baseball state. Uh, I don't know, but yeah. I think uh, I don't know. Like it's it's devoid of it's professional sports up there. That's all I can say. College yeah. football is. Yeah. Well, listen. Uh, thank you for indulging me and let me. Yes. Slam. Well, but yeah, I, that's I just good. loved. I loved watching people get get crushed. I'm like you. <laughs> You did the like you're U of L, like you know what I mean. You're punching above your weight class. Yeah, you're in. The, whenever I was a kid, they were. Oh, dogs. Whenever That's I was in I a, whenever I was in a kid, they were independent. They didn't even have a conference, and they gave away tickets at Thornton's. Uh, they've come a long way from there. Uh, all right, that's it. Thank you, Matt, for joining us. Uh, okay, if you want to reach out to us, you can do so at my old Kentucky, my old KY Pod on Twitter or Facebook. You can find our podcast the podcast app of your choice. Uh, we have an occasional letter at tinyletter.com slash my old Kentucky newsletter and. Uh, last but not least, we are part of the Dimcast and Forward Kentucky Networks. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.